Hey church family, it's really good to be with you this morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you decide you're going to watch this playlist and or sermon. I got a personal request as we begin this where I just want to ask every every person that's listening to this that's part of the community, if you're listening to this before 1130 Sunday morning, would you jump on the Zoom call? I know we ask about this every week, but I got to be honest, it is one of my favorite 45 minutes of the entire week, just getting to see different people's faces. And I know staff and elders would love to be able to see you and hear from you. So even if you haven't watched the sermon or the entire playlist, when I, when I call on you, you can just say, hey, I haven't watched it yet, but it would be so good to be able to see you and, and just be a church community. And we've been doing it every week. And I just wanna thank those who have been faithful to be a part of it every single week, because it has been so good to be able to hear from one another, hear of takeaways, get to see people's faces. And so that's my request of you as we're starting this, this sermon this week. So Habakkuk began this letter with questioning God about what he believed about God was passivity, that he was idle when it came to the disobedience regarding Judah, the nation that Habakkuk uh, was from. And God responds. He talks back. He answers Habakkuk. And after God responds with a plan that isn't at all what Habakkuk would expect or, to be honest, even like, because God tells him that the way that he's going to bring judgment upon Judah is by using an even less repentant nation and army to take Judah over. Habakkuk, this minor prophet who has been questioning God and how he does things regarding the sin of Judah, his, this nation, his nation, has now just heard a reply from God in verses 5 through 11 that may have blown his mind. God's going to bring judgment, but he's going to use this very despicable people in the Chaldeans to put Judah in their place. And today we're going to study the reply of this prophet after God says this to him. Habakkuk is going to once again bring a complaint to God. So let's read together. Here's what he says in verse 12 of chapter 1. Lord... Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. We can't read tone when we're reading passages of the Bible, but we can read context and language. And you may hear this as a buttering up of God, speaking highly about him, then just to complain to him. Now, that may be true. That may be what's happening here. But it could also be that Habakkuk is speaking about what he knows about God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, about what he knows that God is like. So let's jump into what Habakkuk knows about God. And since this is scripture, since we believe that the Holy Spirit wrote this through actual people and it was written down, we can take these observations of God as absolute truth about God's character. Habakkuk begins in verse 12 with, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. This points out that God is eternal, that he is everlasting. There was never a time that God did not exist, nor was he created as he has been before the beginning. Then he states that God is his God. He says, my God. He says, which, and when he says this, it's pointing out the relational sovereignty of God's character. He isn't a faraway deity, but a personal, relational God who knows his people intimately. 
and completely. Unlike any human relationship, this is our God. And he also states that he is his God. It's this possessive pronoun that comes out of God's good and pleasing will to save people unto himself and to make them his people. And lastly, he says, holy one, that God is holy, that he is pure, that he is set apart unlike anyone else. God's holiness and his perfection is something that we as followers can appreciate because it is so unlike what we're like. We need God's intervention. We need God's spirit to obey God. But we don't justify ourselves by how well we obey. So this underlying current in God's church is that we are saved by grace, a gift that we do not deserve. But then we put this pressure on ourselves to pay God back for this gift. Listen, that's not how this works. When God gives us grace, it's not because we earned it. It's because God is good and he gives it to us. So imagine, let me use this analogy. I've used something similar in the past. Imagine you decide that you want to give me new running shoes. You heard I was running a lot. And so you decide that you want to help invest in my endorphin addiction. So you end up sending me these shoes in the mail. And you send these shoes to me in the mail. Now, you didn't. I paid for these with my own money. But after I get these shoes in the mail, I'm super excited about them. I'm super excited to run in them. But then I feel bad because I may think that because of everything going on, money may be tight. And I say, hey, what if you were to give, what, what if I were to give you some money for the shoes? I know you paid for them and, and I know how much they cost. And so what if I were to just give you some money for them? Now, my guess is you would hear this and you wouldn't really want to receive any money, but maybe I would keep pushing and then eventually you would to, maybe you would accept my contribution to the gift that you gave me. Now, here's the thing. If you were to accept money from me for the gift that you gave me, it's no longer a gift. It's just a discount. And God doesn't give discount on salvation. He gives the gift of salvation. So we do not need to pay him back to to discount or lower the beauty of the gift that he has given us in his son. Motivation matters. So if you at all are trying to justify yourself by your obedience, you misunderstand grace entirely. When asked what makes you secure in your salvation, what makes you a Christian, what makes you saved, it should be the same answer that you have for your salvation in the first place. Why are you sure that your salvation has stuck? It's because of Jesus. It's all him, nothing more, nothing less. So the holiness of God is something that we as his people should be growing into, but it's not at all something that we expect to mirror with our lives. And by this huge contrast of our humanity versus his holiness, we ought to praise him even more for being perfect, for his perfection, set apart while also being approachable, not because we were good enough, but because Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Habakkuk continues, he says, You will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Habakkuk points out that God as spirit is and will be forever. That's actually one of the reasons or one of the excuses 
of why people in this time period had such a tough time believing that Jesus could be God because they knew what prophets like Habakkuk had said about God never dying. Now, death has a few different meanings. One of its simpler forms is simply separation. And when Jesus died on the cross, his spirit and his body were separated. And he, Jesus, was separated for three days from God the Father. But death also means a ceasing to exist. And what Habakkuk seems to be implying is that God will never cease to exist. He is eternal. He is everlasting, as he pointed out in the first verse that we started studying. Habakkuk then continues that he now understands that God will use the Babylonians to carry out God's judgment upon Judah, but not to annihilate them, but to correct them. I just spit. To correct them under God's sovereign hand. Jeremiah speaks about this in chapters 31 and 33, which Habakkuk seems to have some type of peace when it comes to this plan. And maybe it would be easy to assume that Habakkuk could not understand why God would use this course of action, but he seemed to be a little bit more willing to take it. Habakkuk also points out that God is his rock. He uses the term rock, which also shows off God's might, his power, his weightiness. This is a common expression, especially in the Psalms, to communicate who God is. In Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In verse 31 of chapter 18, the psalmist says, for who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? In chapter 31, verses two through three, the psalmist says, turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue, be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. In Psalm 62, verse 2, he says, Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. And lastly, in Psalm 78, verse 35, they remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. Rock is a descriptive nickname of God that is used over and over by the psalmist to commentate on God's power and his mightiness. And through his power and his might, Habakkuk and you and I ought to trust him even when our circumstances aren't at all what we prefer or expect. When the shelter in place begun, I had to change the way I saw the methodology of how church was supposed to happen almost overnight. Prior to this, if I'm honest, I was pretty down on churches that seemed to do almost everything online because I knew it took away from the closeness of being in person. And people were, seemed to be doing church online almost as like this minimal commitment towards being a part of God's church. Now, for quite a while, there have been people that are a part of Church of the Valley that don't attend for whatever reason because of health or because maybe they moved away, but they still want to engage with what they're doing. And so they may hear the sermons online. They may even talk with others about what they were learning through this community and the teaching. But being here, being a part of what we're doing is really what makes you part of the church. Now, we both know that church online, playlists, etc., shouldn't ever supersede what church really is. 
And here's what church is. It is a relational organism of people striving to love God and love others while growing into the likeness of Jesus together. And I think in the past, especially while we were in the book of Titus, I I believe I said a few times, well, this is what we've got right now, so let's make the best of it. And we are in a culture and a country where the rules are changing daily. In fact, from the time you started this playlist to the time that it's over, you may hear of some new law or some new change when it comes to sheltering in place or what we're doing in this country. And I know that people need to support themselves. I know that people need to support their families. I know that people have gotten sick and there is the risk of being sick. And I even know of a church in the Bay Area where a pastor has gone on record with the news saying that he doesn't care what the current restrictions are, that he's going to open his church services this weekend, right now, because he has a poor interpretation of what it means to meet together as the church of the living God. Now listen, I care. I care about you. I care about our people. I care about our witness. And most of all, I care about the gospel personified in Jesus Christ to say that we will meet together when we as leaders and elders through prayer unanimously believe that we are equipped enough to safely worship together on campus in unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that we're not going to rush this. See, this isn't going to be this weekend, and I guess it won't be next weekend either, but we as a community of people of God's that are part of God's family who have been growing into the likeness of Jesus together as the church of the valley in Santa Clara. See, the lack of walking into a room together on Sunday mornings is in no way has stopped the preaching and the proclaiming of the truth of God from his word or the connection of people to spur one another on towards good deeds. I've heard stories of families worshiping together in their homes like never before. I have heard of people going above and beyond to serve neighbors and acquaintances for the glory of Jesus's name in ways that could never ever have happened before the quarantine began. I know that it's not really the majority's preference, but I believe in a God who is called the rock, and we, as God's people, can be using this time to expose idols. We could be looking at the things that were most important to us before this, and we can see God start to change things in us and to expose things that even in the church we were so focused on in the past, including attendance and buildings. Now, I can tell you in the past that I often heard about different... uh, things that we need to do regarding the building. And yes, there's still things that we need to do with the building and we are still going to take care of the building. When you drive by, the grass is cut. We want to make sure that things are fine here. But the crazy thing is that God seems to be answering prayers even in this time in ways that we wouldn't expect, giving us opportunities to love our neighbors and others in ways that we were too busy to do before because we were commuting and we had our lives figured out in a certain rhythm that was exhausting. Now again, I don't think that this is ideal, but I believe that God is using this to help marriages be strengthened as married couples start to rely more on God than their own personal preferences. He's at work. He is our fortress. He is our rock. And it doesn't matter what we want. 
It matters who he is. That's how Habakkuk begins his second complaint in a pretty affirming posture, if you will. But look what he says next in verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Missed it by that much. (laughs) Habakkuk points out the truths about God, that he is holy and pure, that he can not look upon evil. It's not that he's offended by this or some out-of-touch creator. It's that his holiness is so glorious that anything that is not perfect would be destroyed in his presence. And I think when I read you cannot tolerate evil, I almost picture this lowering of God's deity, that he's hypersensitive, that he cannot believe that you and I are not as perfect as he is, but rather it's about his purity, that there is power in who he is, that he, in his purity, completely overcomes and envelops anything that is not pure and holy like he is. Habakkuk then wants to know why he tolerates the treacherous. We've talked at length about God's patience and what it means for you and I, that because he is patient, salvation is possible. But his not acting right away like many of us would want him to doesn't necessarily mean tolerance. One of my least favorite things about social media, when I was on it and I got off of it in January of 2000, what year is this? 2019, was the thing I couldn't stand was all the assumptions. If you post about your children, some people question why you would put their photos online. Or if you are communicating that you think your kids are cuter than other people's kids. For the record, yes, yes I do. If someone asked me a question on social media about something that was a hot topic in society and in the news at the time, or maybe even a theological question, and I didn't answer, or I didn't answer right away, the assumptions would start to fly out. You obviously are a bigot. You obviously are a racist. You don't care about the environment. You're obviously a Republican. You're obviously a Democrat. You, you, you. That's what Habakkuk's accusation sounds like to me. A finite person telling an infinite God what God thinks just because he didn't act as fast as Habakkuk thought he should. Habakkuk begins with being affirming, and yet he's unable to comprehend that the means in which God was answering Habakkuk's first prayer and complaint about the sin of Judah was not up to Habakkuk's quality control. How dare you answer my prayer, but use a solution I disagree with. Isn't this all of us? When we pray for growth, this is all of us. When we pray for the fruit of the Spirit, this is what we're like. We ask God to make us more patient. Shelter in place. We ask God to make us more loving. Along comes a very sinful, selfish person. We ask that we would be more kind. Someone we cannot stand goes across our newsfeed. God is creative but he's also consistent. And he knows that the circumstances that you go through will either grow you or out you. I don't know how many times I have preached a sermon about loving others 
and then got in my vehicle. And honestly, I should have just driven right down to the DMV and purchased a vanity plate on the back that simply said hypocrite. Why? Because of the way that I addressed people as I got out of the church into my vehicle and started to drive. The way that I got angry at people for the way that they were driving. Now, we can pray for things all the time that we believe are within God's good and pleasing will, but you don't get to dictate if God answers the prayer or even how he answers the prayer. Have you ever prayed that God would save someone in your life and then gotten mad at God because that person then had to go through some type of trial? Hmm. Have you ever thought that That might have been the way that God was going to answer your prayer by saving them through tough circumstances. You didn't pray that God would make that person comfortable unto death. You prayed that God would save them from an eternity without him. So trust God when you pray to him. Be thoughtful in what you pray for and how you pray because God actually answers prayers. God actually does answer prayers. Will he answer all of them? No. Will he answer prayers in the time that you want him to? Almost never. That's what I'm taking away so far as we have been studying this discussion between Habakkuk and God. God actually hears me. He actually intervenes. He actually is real. He actually is involved in his creation. And if that doesn't blow your mind just a little bit, I don't think you believe in the same God that I believe in. I don't think you believe in the same God that claims certain things about him. Let me say that again. God actually hears me. God actually intervenes. He actually is real. He actually is involved in his creation. If that doesn't blow your mind just a little bit, I don't think you believe in the God who speaks about himself in the Bible. Habakkuk continues and he says in verse 14, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. This isn't an admission of reverse evolution. This is Habakkuk stating that for the Babylonians' life was very cheap to them. They didn't have a moral code. They were were way worse than Judah, who Habakkuk began this book complaining about. The Babylonians, or a.k.a. the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans, had no care for the people that they were fighting against, like a sea creature looking for a meal. Verse 15, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk is using the metaphorical language to point out that the Chaldeans treat enemies in their line of fire like fish that are being picked up from the ocean. The leaderless people of Judah that don't follow the way of the Lord are being picked off by Babylonians without much effort or remorse. Verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. And to point out more of their wickedness, Habakkuk reiterates what God had said about them in verse 11, where he said, Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people, whose own strength is their God. Their God was not the God of the universe who was actually allowing them to be the tool in which God brought judgment upon Judah. But instead, they were giving credit to their own ability and exalting themselves and their own strength rather than pointing to God and his sovereignty. 
But isn't that like all of us? When we do something impressive, we, we point out all the hard work that we did. Or we maybe even point out the gift that we have. But what about the gift giver? But I practiced. Practice, man. Listen, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes better, and the perfect one deserves the credit for our obedience. But as we said before, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to intervene for us to obey. So we give credit to God for what God does in us. So Habakkuk points out that the, the Babylonians, they had a lack of reverence and respect for the Lord because they worship false gods and give credit where credit is not due. And then Habakkuk concludes his complaint with an actual very, very practical statement. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Almost to say, hey, listen, I'm going to stand back and just watch from the shadows as you do what you do, if I agree with it or not, and I'll just think of my response to you after you do what you do. He has just complained to God, who is this eternal, sovereign, holy rock. And then after this complaint, he's just going to step back and watch God do what he does. But that isn't necessarily bad. Habakkuk knows he has been faithless at times when it comes to his assumptions that God was being idle and passive when it came to Judah's sin. So Habakkuk stands back and he waits. He hands his problem over to the Lord and trusts that the perfect and righteous judge will handle the situation appropriately as God sees necessary, even if it isn't how Habakkuk would do it. Church, I can't recommend to you more that this becomes our application in times like this, right now especially. So many of us have had hard moments, hard days, maybe even weeks while we're uh, self-quarantining. It has felt isolating. It has possibly felt claustrophobic. It has made us question ourselves and our relationships, and it's made us question our God. But we are his people. If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, we are his people. And we are to hand over problems to God. And to trust that he is eternal, sovereign, holy. That he is the rock that scripture calls him. And that he will see us through this trial and the next. Without getting too specific... I know that we are hurting in this time. I know that some of us have anxiety and fear and anger and mistrust, and we may feel lonely, and yet we have a holy and perfect God who wants us to hand our problems over to him. Now, will he fix it right away? There's no promise that he will. Will he fix it the way that we want him to? Probably not. But will he fix it? If by fixing it you mean hearing, consoling, and loving you as his dear child, I can promise you he will do that. Because as Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You and I are not employed by God. We are adopted by him. 
through faith and our daughter and sonship in him is what reminds me that God is in this. He will not leave or forsake you or I, and we as his children can hand the problem to him and wait patiently for his solution. As Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for those, for the good of those who love him, boldness mine, who have been called according to his purpose. Church, you have been called by God. You have been justified by God. You have been made right by and for God if you've trusted Jesus Christ so that we can be image bearers of grace and truth to a world that doesn't understand either. May the Lord of heaven and earth give us peace in this time as he finishes his work in each of us to make us more complete and more Christ-like. As we conclude, I have three things I want to say. It's simply this. We're going to encourage you to continue to give towards God's work through the people of Church of the Valley. You can do that by going to covalley.com forward slash giving or you can mail a check to the church address listed on the screen. It's because of your faithful giving that we continue to bring you these playlists each week with many new and familiar faces. We can continue as a staff caring for and loving on the people who make Church of the Valley a community. Second, I want to encourage you, please sign up for a community group today, if possible. We have had so many amazing leaders say, hey, I want to lead a group this semester. And they want to help make sure that people have the opportunity to engage and grow together in community. And even though all these groups are going to start out while we shelter in place, I can promise you that it's worth your time to engage with one another while we do what we can to keep one another safe. And lastly, I just want to make sure that you're doing well. I talk to different people every single week to check in and see how people are doing, but I'd like you to encourage you this week to send an email to a staff member or an elder, maybe someone who's already contacted you, maybe to me, and just do a quick check-in. Hey, here's how I'm doing. This is what I'm going through. I've been watching the playlist. Here are any needs that I may have, or maybe I don't have any needs right now. Here's what God's teaching me. Please reach out to us because we just want to know how people that are part of Church of the Valley are doing. We don't get to see everyone's face each Sunday like we're used to. We, we want to make sure that you're heard and you're accounted for. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'd ask that you would take a moment and just close your eyes and bow your heads as I pray for you and for me. Let's pray. God, I pray that your word would speak to your people today. That it would challenge us to be willing to hand over our problems to you, to trust you even when stuff around us is so volatile. God, I pray that you would take the offering of your people that give out of the willingness to trust you and you would take it and you would make more disciples and that you would use the resources that we have to make much of your name. God, I pray that we would be connecting with one another, that it wouldn't just, the responsibility wouldn't just fall on the staff or the elders, but that people in the community would reach out to others and say, hey, here's how I'm doing, because God, we're in this together, and we know that you're involved, and we know that you're with us. So Lord, thank you for what you're doing in your community. God, may Jesus be lifted up in everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.